The witching hour, someone had once whispered to her, was a special moment in the middle of the night when every child and every grown-up was in a deep, deep sleep and all the dark things came out from hiding and had the world to themselves. Mm -hmm. I've just been itching to cast a spell on you. Welcome to The Witching Hour, a podcast that discusses witches in literature, film, television, history, and pop culture. My name is CJ. And I'm Shannon, and you did such a good oh, job. Yay. <laughs> Shannon made me do the intro today. <laughs> she read it perfectly. She nailed the tone, which I've been trying and failing to hone in on for like 13 episodes now, so we finally got it. You just said I gotta do that breathy sort of, like, radio voice. I haven't mastered the breathy radio slash sexy voice, which (laughs) is probably pretty apparent to any of our listeners, but I guess I'll keep practicing it, so. Someday we'll get there, dear listeners. In the meantime, we are discussing our first book! Woo! I'm so excited! Me too, because half of my life is books, so. Yeah, it overlaps quite nicely with that, and this is something we had talked about doing for quite a while, like probably since the beginning of the podcast, and we just never really (laughs) got around to actually reading a book. We even had, like, a different book we were going to read over the holidays, and it was the holidays, and we were dumb, and that did not happen. We might still read that book, but... I have it still. It does sound really interesting. I remember I opened it up once and the font was a lot smaller than I had been like mentally <laughs> anticipating. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to get this done in the week before <laughs> the podcast is supposed to be. So I think I forget what we swapped it with. But this book was a lot. The font was a good size. So I was able to it, get it. <laughs> it was. Um, Literally, I ordered it last week. So I... uh. I did some speed reading of this one. Very proud of myself. I think it took me, I like had a weekend where I wasn't really doing much. I was kind of just like couch bound. And I think I read most of it over the weekend. Like it's a pretty quick read um, for the folks at home who would like to read along or read after if you find this episode at all interesting. But yeah, there, there may be some spoilers. So if you're interested in reading the book and you're one of those people who doesn't like spoilers, read the book first. Otherwise, welcome. I think we're going to try to keep some of the major, major plot points under wraps, but if you pay attention, you'll probably be able to figure most of them out. So <laughs> I, I also can't promise I won't, like, bitch about things, so. Me either. So this should be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I actually said what book we, are, we read. It is The Familiars <laughs> by Stacey Halls. Good call. Um, she's also well known for writing the miniaturist. If you've ever been to like one of those book club pick sections in your local Barnes and Noble, you've probably seen this book. But this is her new one. It just came out this month. So super topical. That's so interesting. I thought that I read that this was her first book. Pretty now I have to check. I think it was. I think the miniaturist was by Jesse Burton. Wait, what? I'm blowing your mind. Oh, never mind. I, I'm only doing this because it's so rare that I get to Wait, be right. What? So, 
<laughs> she needs to go look. She took off her headphones so she could go look. Oh, I, I see what I did there. I was looking at the blurb and I was like, oh yeah, praise for the miniaturist. And then I'm like, no, it was blurbed by the person who wrote the miniaturist. It's pretty good blurb. I haven't read the miniaturist. I did watch the BBC, I think, did like a miniseries. <laughs> I watched that instead. I have neither read uh, nor watched it. But yeah, so this book, totally unrelated, but about witches. Both have witches. And um, yeah, I thought that, I guess we could talk about it later, but this was her first novel and I thought pretty good for her first novel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I was impressed. So... We'll get into the book in a second, but just to give you a little bit of history. So this book is actually based on the Pendle Witch Trials. And we're not going to go into the Pendle Trials too much because we decided that they really deserve an episode of their own. Absolutely. But we do want to give you a little background so you're not like, what the hell are you talking about? So the Pendle Witches Trial in 1612 is one of the most famous witch trials in English history. And also some of the best recorded. There were 12 witches um, accused, and they all lived in this area surrounding Pendle Hill in Lancashire. And they were charged with the murders of 10 people by the use of witchcraft. Interestingly, of the 11 who went to trial, 10 were found guilty and executed by hanging, and one was found not guilty, but there's apparently very little indication as to why. I think that's so fascinating, and that's something that, like, really drove me crazy about reading about the witch trials and reading the book is like I want to know why like this one person was let off the hook but I guess it's just lost to the annals of history yeah it's like for some reason like some of the best recorded witch trials and I guess they didn't think that that part was important enough to mention Whatever, I guess. So six of the Pendle witches came from one of two families, and each at the time was headed by a woman in her 80s. So the first matriarch was Elizabeth Southerns, who was known as Demdike. Um, I'm not really sure the origins of that name. Well, they said in the book, I don't know how accurate this is, but they said it meant demon woman. Oh, good. (laughs) Her daughter, Elizabeth... De- we discussed it- <laughs> we discussed how we should pronounce it um it looks like device but i think we went with De- devis because devis because devis it- yeah because in the book at one point he's like oh it's interesting that their name is like devil and then her grandchildren james and allison De- devis <laughs> another woman named ann whittle and her daughter ann redfern which is an excellent last name Red fern with an E on the end. Uh, the other accused were Jane Bullock and her son John, or excuse me, Bullcock. Her son John Bullcock. <laughs> Alice Nutter. Name. Alice Nutter, yeah, also unfortunate. Yeah. Catherine Hewitt, Alice Gray, and Jeanette Preston. So we will do a deep dive more into what these people were accused of and why in another episode, but that's kind of just setting the stage for where the book takes place. And the cool part is that pretty much all of these people appear in the familiars, Mm -hmm. either in person or in name. So Stacey Hall basically took this account and kind of went into it and figured like, okay, well, what was actually happening around this time? And then wrote this fictionalized account. So... 
A high-level synopsis of the familiars. We're set in 1612 in Pendle Hill. Young Fleetwood Shuttleworth, <laughs> which, holy God, what a name. I... <laughs> I didn't, this was a real person, which I thought was also impressive. But when I first read that, I was like, okay, this is a little excessive as far as names go. Same thing. I was like, really? This is like the most Mary Sue name ever. And yeah, then I saw in the author's note that she was real. I was like, oh, I was like, okay, (laughs) fine. I apologize, Stacey. My bad. (laughs) So Fleetwood is with Child again. She's the mistress of Gawthorpe Hall, which also was like, what? (laughs) What's wrong with Gothorp? I don't know. It just, like, it kind of sounds, like, so stereotypically gothic. Like, it seems yeah. like ghosts are just floating through the halls. Like, <laughs> unembodied screams just echo through, like, the area at night. I don't know. It's just, like, a really weird... It's a weird-looking word, maybe. Something <laughs> about it. Also, like, because I read it... In a couple sentences, you see Fleetwood Shuttleworth, and then you That's see Gothor Paul, yeah. and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> All real places and people, so. Yeah, welcome to the north of England, where names are a little fucked up. Yeah, no kidding. It took me a little bit by surprise, but I've got, I've so, got yeah. a handle on it. But Fleetworth's main problem is not the weird name of the place she lives. It is Her main <laughs> is actually the fact that she's very anxious to provide her husband with an heir, but none of her previous pregnancies have come to term. And then she discovers a hidden letter from her doctor warning her husband that she will not survive another pregnancy. As you might imagine, Fleetwood is pretty distraught and frightened over this revelation. And while wandering around the woods around Pendle Hill, she meets a young local woman named Alice Gray. Um, Alice is a midwife, and she promises Fleetwood that she can help her deliver a healthy baby. But soon, as you might have guessed, based on her profession, um, Alice is drawn into the frenzied accusations of witchcraft sweeping the countryside. Um, even the woodland creatures, the familiars, are spe- are suspected of practicing the dark arts. And Fleetwood has to grapple with, can she trust that Alice is really who she says she is, or is she perhaps something more and something darker? Ooh. Their lives become intertwined, and Fleetwood has to risk everything to prove Alice's innocence in order to save her own unborn child. And as the hunt for witches reaches a fever pitch, time is running out, the trials are about to begin, and both of their lives are at stake. Only they know the truth. Only they can save each other. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And this is like the last line of the back of the book blurb. Set against the Pendle Witch Trials of 1612, this rich and compelling novel draws its characters from historical figures as it explores the lives and rights of 17th century women, ultimately raising the question, is witch hunting really just women hunting? <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I'd say 80% <laughs> based on some statistics we're about to reveal, but yeah. <laughs> so... Rather than do a blow-by-blow of the plot, we're going to talk about the book, some of the topics um, that came up, some of our thoughts and feelings. And Shannon, we'll start with an interesting fact. Yeah, so one thing that I didn't really realize until I was reading about, I mean, I guess somewhere deep inside I might have known it, but I wasn't paying that close attention. So when I was doing some readings of the book and like reading other reviews, one pointed out that 
This takes place during the early modern period, which you might remember us discussing from our Isabel Gaudi episode. That was a time period in Northern Europe that claimed about 50,000 lives during various witch trials, and about 80% of those lives belonged to women, and most of them were over the age of 40. So when we go back to think about how both of those families were helmed by like 80 year old women like that falls pretty much in line with what was standard for the time unfortunately and i guess this is also a good place to plug our seventh episode if you want to learn more about isabel gowdy and her crazy ass witch trial like (laughs) definitely go listen to that (laughs) yeah hers was definitely a little more colorful and it also took place in scotland which the book mentions that they burn their witches the english hang them yeah, I forgot about that. They like, they kind of say it in almost a way. It feels like very much like they're accusing the Scottish of being boorish or like uncouth and uncivilized. <laughs> like, oh, the proper thing to do with the witch is to hang them. It's so revolting what they do up there in the north in Scotland. <laughs> it's like y'all are murdering people. All I don't know why you're being so fancy about it. Although it's funny because like so. This is during the time of King James, who himself was Scottish, interestingly enough, but it was right after the time where they'd had some issues with the church. You know, you had Henry, who decided to divorce his wife and break away from the church, and then, you know, his daughter, often known as Bloody Mary, decided to bring Catholicism back, and then... Mary of Scots and her brother were like, no, Protestantism. So this is very much a part of the whole scene here. And Lancashire is in the north, which is, you know, more Catholic, a little more wild. And, you know, Catholics were basically seen not exactly as heretics, but like kind of. They were under suspicion for sure. Like they had to present themselves at church every week to kind of have an eye kept on them. So this is already taking place in this, you know, kind of wild place that the king, you know, sees as this backwater, basically. Yeah, this place that he doesn't have as strong of a control over because it's like just kind of out of, too, a little bit out of his grasp. And they do talk about Catholics a couple times in the book where like Fleetwood will mention something offhandedly like, oh, like, so what if they're Catholic? And then Roger will be like, oh, it's disgusting, or, like, whatever. <laughs> like, Roger's the worst. Too long to read. But Oh, my God, yeah. I really do appreciate that Stacey Halls spent a lot of time kind of investing these really accurate historical details, like, in the form of dialogue or in the way her settings are written. So it doesn't feel, like, super over that like you're not constantly getting hit in the face with historical facts but then when you go back and start comparing the book to like what actually happened in the time period like it really does fall right in line with what you would expect yeah i thought she did a great job of that like you don't get like the george r R. martin level info dump it's like she kind of weaves in some (laughs) details and if you know anything about english history during this time you're like oh yeah that thing it's like little easter eggs yeah, totally. Oh my god, George R. R. Martin info dumps are really something else. <laughs> uh, I love him, but like, seriously, dude. Seriously. No, I know. It, yeah, there's, <laughs> oof. <laughs> so, it's interesting. So, like, Fleetwood is kind of our narrator 
um, this entire time. Yeah, I was going to say, this is in first person. So, yeah, she's narrating the whole time. And she's a very interesting character. Like, I didn't realize at first that she's, like, 17 or 18. Yeah. And, I mean, she comes off as pretty naive throughout. Like, well-meaning, but she's like, oh, the poor people can't afford a horse. Yeah, there's... There's some details in here where I agree. It was hard to tell if it's like, is she truly just this naive? Like, is this how naive a woman in her position would be? Or is it like a little overdone? I don't know if I really know the answer to it, but sometimes it just felt like, duh, Fleetwood. Like, Alice (laughs) lives in a fucking, like, hovel in the ground. Like, a mud fucking hole. And, of course, she can't afford a horse, it, it still felt kind of believable, though. Like, I I wasn't like, oh, there's no way a woman of her station wouldn't know these things. I was like, wow, Fleetwood, like, seriously. I think I had a hard time reconciling a little bit of her, the her naivete in the beginning. And then just, like, she seems to, over the course of the story, she, like, finds her voice and becomes, like, a pretty headstrong woman and does mm. things that I would say a properly raised English noblewoman would not be really keen on doing, like trudging through the countryside alone mm. at night with her dog uh, as her only companion. Yeah. Or like getting herself involved with all of these politics around the witch trials and like basically like courting suspicion. Yeah, I mean, she, that's the best way to put it. Because it's it almost does feel like sometimes, like, are you trying to fuck yourself? <laughs> yes. It's like, oh like, my god, you can't just do that. People are going to think that you're a witch, you moron. And it in the rules of the world, I would think that she would know that. But sometimes she just does things where it's like, don't you know, like, how that looks to people? And I don't know. I had a hard time, like, figuring I, something about it just didn't quite quite sit right with me i guess although like then you know i'm so I, i'm like simultaneously listening to pride and prejudice on audiobook because i i use audiobooks as like bedtime stories yeah and i mean she kind of reminds me of like some of the younger bennett sisters yeah who like are pretty naive and like they grew up in the country where you can be a little more wild and petulant yeah so That's I don't true. think it's totally unbelievable. Yeah, I think that, and it, but also combined with, like, I had a hard time pinpointing, like, what Richard's whole deal was the whole time. <laughs> and just, oh, like, Richard. at first I thought that he might be gay just because she goes oh out of god, his Oh my god, I thought so too. Because she goes out of her way to be, like, talk about his ear piercings, like, four or five different times. And I was like, why do you keep telling me his ears are pierced? Like, Well, and about his finery and how he's interested in clothes. And, like, not that a man can't be interested in clothes, but, like, you know, it, it, the way she was describing it just made it kind of seem like that's where she was going. Yeah, and that, spoiler alert, that's not where she's going. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard, Richard is such an interesting character because, I mean – Obviously, he starts out and, like, Fleetwood's in love with him. He's saved her from this horrible mother and terrible, dull, you know, dreary life. But, of course, you know, there's this letter he kept from her. So you're like, oh, well, this is upsetting. But then... As the reader, you're immediately like, I don't think he's that awesome, Fleetwood. Because she's, (laughs) like, trying to reconcile, like, how could this man that I love so deeply and loves me so deeply 
not tell me that this child will murder me. And it's like, well, uh, maybe, maybe he doesn't love you so deeply. Although, this like, then I came to realize, like, I don't think he's, because they say that he's maybe maybe a little older than Alice, and she's like twenty two. Yeah. So I I think he's also in his early twenties and. The more I read about him, the more I think he's just sort of like a hopeless idiot. <laughs> like, I I don't think he's intentionally cruel. He's just very selfish. He's very selfish and impulsive. He's used to having his own way. And when things get hard, he freaks out and, you know, runs off to like the first pleasurable thing he can find because he doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, whether that's like a hunt or some other like activity (laughs) um but i yeah i think that i agree with that like 80 percent. and then there's these weird details where i feel like she's trying to make him more of like a stereotypical like bad man from the 1600s because there's a couple times where he tries to like wield his the power like asserted to him by the patriarchy over her. Yeah, but like, that's like not but, even a stereotypical bad man. That's a stereotypical regular man from I know, the seventeen hundreds. It, it just seems so heavy. Like there's, a, it just seems really heavy. Well, yeah, compared, okay, yeah. Compared to like the other times we see him, where he's just kind of like aloof or bored with her. Like it True. feels like it comes out of nowhere. And then, and then at the end, he has like a pretty compassionate like flip so i'm just like you went from telling fleetwood to like pretty much mind her own business and to not like embarrass him mm-hmm. which I, I guess was her, like her literal only job and she like, <laughs> couldn't do it <laughs> and being kind of cruel about it to then like coming around and i but was see, like what that's the you thing come? i don't think he was being intentionally cruel i think like he had this grand image of himself that Roger put into his head of like this fine society gentleman in parliament and now she's yeah. fucking it up and he's really pissed at her, and he's acting like a toddler who has been, you know, wounded by someone. Yeah, that's an interesting... I didn't really um, consider Roger's influence, but he does... So Roger is, like, I think he's kind of their neighbor. Like, he lives in the next estate over, <laughs> or, like, close enough that they, like, ride horses to each other's halls for dinner frequently. I forget. Is he, like, the sheriff? I forget exactly what his role is. Um... Yeah, I think he is the sheriff or, like, magistrate or something like that. Yeah, and he is, at the beginning of the book, like, really chummy with Fleetwood and Richard. They both kind of see him as, like, a surrogate father, Fleetwood especially. And then he starts (laughs) rounding up witches and Fleetwood kind of begins to grow suspicious of, like, what his motivations actually are. Which it turns out is a good thing because it very much just kind of seems like he's on a quest for power and to prove to King James that, like, he's taking great care of this section of the country that King James is terrified of. So, yeah. yeah. He also (laughs) turns out to be, like, an incredible asshole. He is the biggest asshole. I honestly, like... CJ and I are both toiling away at our own works in progress. And I was like, oh, God, Roger, like, my, the main 
evil man in my book has fallen a little flat and i was like this is kind of what i need to be like roger is nailing this like how can i pull some roger essence into he's just like he's got this level of nasty vindictiveness like he's all smiles and he's fine like when you're nice to him he definitely has that like oh i know best attitude but, like, yeah. when they start pissing him off, he just goes full on, like, I'm going to fuck with you. It is, like, very cutthroat, like, Red Wedding level. I got, Not oh, really. I don't know about Red Wedding. Like, he would do it if he was cool and smart enough. That's but he fair. just didn't think of it. <laughs> Although, I don't know if we'll keep this in or not, but bringing the mistress to the play, being like, oh, this is my friend's daughter. Oh my god, that was that was wild. Such a bitch move. <laughs> I know. I was like, you are a petulant little dickwad. Yeah. Yeah, petulant's a good awesome. word for it. Again, like he's acting sort of childish, like you're messing with stuff, so I'm just gonna fuck with your lives. That's like a really interesting point too, because it's like Fleetwood is messing with in theory Roger's career but like he goes straight for the balls and goes to like i'm gonna fuck with your family (laughs) it's like oh my god yeah and when there is another good example of richard being like a man child because he's like can't we just forget about this and move on (laughs) that was so long ago it's like it's been like a week (laughs) yeah yes oh my god like you need to come home now i've let you bitch about this enough and it's like you have a fucking mistress with a baby so like i get to be a bitch about this as long as i want yeah well and also at that point fleetwood is convinced that like the woman is just kind of waiting in the wings to replace her after she croaks so which fair i mean given given the evidence like (laughs) yeah i that's another thing that i was initially like god what a dick and then the more i thought about it i was like i guess that's just also kind of standard par for the course if you're like in the nobility at this time period i watched the tutors i saw what (laughs) happens people people did have mistresses like it was pretty common you just kind of kept them out of the way yeah, you should do a better job than Richard does because he literally moves them into Fleetwood's old fam- familial home. <laughs> Although knowing that she hated that place and will never go there. Except she does, so he doesn't go <laughs> that well, does, <laughs> does he? Apparently not. And really, a lot of the change in Fleetwood is after she meets Alice. So a great example of how strong female friendships can change the world. Hell yeah. But also Alice is amazing. She's like, she's this very kind of brusque, smart, like guarded person. And she does not take anyone's shit. No, not at all. She has some just really great lines. I wish I had actually marked them in the book so I could read them. But at one point she says something like, they're discussing husbands and... Alice, I can't remember exactly what it is, but she's just kind of like, oh, husbands are terrible. Like, why would you want one of those? (laughs) And Fleetwood is, like, obviously shocked because kind of the whole point or, like, of her upbringing was to find a good, suitable husband. And Alice is like, no, that sucks. (laughs) Like, they are all bad. They are all bad. It sucks you have one. Although it's like... 
again, kind of showing Fleetwood's naivete. Like, the first time she meets Alice, she's, like, slaughtered these rabbits. And they're, like, bleeding weirdly in the forest. And then she sees her again, and she's like, oh, that would be a great midwife. That whole scene was weird when Alice is first introduced. Because it felt like there was something kind of strange. I thought that Fleetwood went out of her way to be like, there's something strange about the rabbits. But then I, like, couldn't really pinpoint what it was. Was it just that she was slaughtering them? Was that the weird part? Well, and I thought they were connected. Like, oh, she was doing some kind of witchcraft or ritual with the rabbits. Yeah. But it doesn't really, like ever let you know if that's the case or not i don't know i'm like i'm okay with some ambiguity but i I don't know some of the things i think like she just kind of left alone because it was easier not to explain them yeah here was a good a good quote so alice is telling fleetwood that the king is afraid of wise women and fleetwood is like wise women like what does that mean and alice is just like most women are wise. <laughs> like, <laughs> I liked it. So the the reason I was actually like f- flapping my arms wildly over here is I realized why I had marked this page. So this is when Fleetwood and Alice are talking about, you know, how Alice has been a midwife and like, you know, oh, I'm taking you away. Isn't your dad going to miss you? And Alice is like, I mean, he may miss, like, what I do. I don't think he's going to miss me. And Fleetwood's like, what are you talking about? And she was like, you know, like, because I cook and I, like, do stuff around the house. That's when she said, she's like, oh, well, you never thought of marrying and having a house of your own. And Alice is like, there's no difference in it, really. It's the same life for a daughter as it is for a wife. Just a different man telling you what to do. Yes. And I was like, hell yeah, girl. (laughs) I Like, I thought that was, like, that line, I think, really summed up the book yeah it was like the book's thesis for sure (laughs) and so it's interesting because alice like she's very guarded and you kind of get details of her past slowly but like just her presence and like some of the things she says compel fleetwood to like think a lot more about her situation and to actually question some of the things she's believed this whole time i really wish that we had gotten to see more of Alice because I I think that like when I read the synopsis of the book I mean they talk about it like their lives are intertwined both of their lives are at stake and it's like I understand like literally yes that is true Fleetwood believes that without Alice like she's gonna die during childbirth and then Alice gets swept up in the witch trials but i just thought that it was, I don't know if I was hoping for, like, point of view, like, different point of view chapters, but I just kind of felt like Alice remained a mystery the whole time in, like, a way that I wish she hadn't. Like, I I think her story might have been more compelling even than Fleetwood's in a way, just because Fleetwood's is very kind of standard fare like noble girl life is life is hard for the rich girl <laughs> titanic almost like all problems although it would but- have been a very different story right because i mean with fleetwood it's like it's not just things are hard for the rich girl but like you have this young woman who's like now miscarried three different times and is convinced that her only worth as a human is to produce an heir yeah and not only is it bad if she doesn't do that, but if she does do that, she may die. Yeah, I mean, the stakes aren't awesome, but I don't know. I was like... <laughs> I, I just feel like 
there had we couldn't get to know Alice too much because otherwise, well, I guess they wouldn't necessarily have to say whether she was a witch or not. But like, I think you know the fact that Fleetwood is kind of blindly supporting her. Yeah, so important. Yeah, which I guess brings up another point that I do think I liked. I think, like you said, that there were some points where it kind of felt like it was ambiguous in a way that was frustrating. But overall, I did appreciate her decision to keep magic as kind of this thing on the periphery, like in the shadows, that we're never really certain if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. We, I think at one point we find, or Al, blah, uh, Fleetwood finds... Like a doll that Alice has made, and it's kind of like implied that it's like a poppet or almost like a voodoo doll of some kind, but it's never really explained. And then there are these allusions to various familiars, like there's this fox that reappears throughout the the book. And then I think, oh, the other main one was um, in Alison's try or Alison's case, she is. Believed to be a witch because it sounds like she met someone on the road and, like, he had a stroke. Yeah. Yeah, no, the description was definitely a stroke. Yeah, like, and she thinks that she's cursed him in some way. So I thought that was, like, really, really cool. Like, a very clever way to be, like, oh, like, that is probably how they would explain something like that occurring. Mm -hmm. Just a freak accident. But, yeah, it's, like, this weird... You just never really know. Like, is something magical going on or is it not? <laughs> I did I really I did really like that part because yeah, it was like it was always somewhat ambiguous. So it, it gave it kind of this creepy atmosphere, but also made you realize, like, you know, for these people, like they didn't have really good explanations for a lot of this. And so they did live in this just constant fear of the supernatural. But the part I'm gonna complain about is the title. Because yeah. it was called the familiars. And, like, there were familiars. They were mentioned as, like, possible spirits or whatever. But, like, as a central motif, I didn't think it was that important or, like, that used very much. I didn't either. We see the fox maybe three times, three or four times. And at one point, Fleetwood notices that it has the same color eyes as Alice. Mm-hmm. But then beside that, um, there's only a couple other references to... Like, um, Demdike has, like, this big old dog, Mm -hmm. and there's, like, a few people say, like, oh, I saw a dog, like, attack, like, and then Demdike was, like, around the corner or something like that. But they really don't... So she doesn't explore... She doesn't do anything with it. At first, when we were introduced to Puck, which is um, Fleetwood's Great Dane, I believe. Um, No, he's a wolfhound. Okay. No, sorry. He's a French Mastiff. Yes, she has this huge Important. fucking French de- French master. And I was like, oh, maybe that's going to be, like, her familiar. But then nothing really pans out in that direction. Yeah. And then, I mean, on the cover, it's the wolf, or excuse me, the fox, and then um, a couple birds. And Fleetwood talks about how she had a bird one time that she accidentally killed because like she left yeah, it too close to a Samuel fire the raven. <laughs> yeah I, and I was about like it. i was like was samuel your familiar that you fucking murdered like, <laughs> i don't know well and like they keep talking about how like well if a familiar is proof of 
a witch and you don't see the familiar, then doesn't that mean they're not a witch? But then Roger is like, no, only people who are into the devil can see familiars. So it's like it never becomes that much like that much of a crux of this story. Yeah. I thought that was a little disappointing. I was kind of hoping there was going to be a lot of like outward familiars running around and that's like a very different story. <laughs> see, I didn't even need that. I just wanted a good metaphor. You're a little bit classier than I am, <laughs> so. But yeah, so that that was the weird part, but I did like the the whole ambiguity of magic because it made it a very like it, it was a much subtler tale that really ended up being yeah. less about you know, witchcraft or magic and more about how women were viewed and treated during this time. I did think it was interesting too. I mean, just going off the historical stuff, it really does sound like when Alice is like talking about how all women are wise and we kind of see these allusions to some sort of folk magic, Mm -hmm. it really felt like Stacey Halls was invoking the tradition of cunning folk in Britain, which were like pretty much midwives and also just people that sold spells like they prom- like prominently identified as christian but on the side they would make like charms and stuff to ward mm-hmm. off witchcraft malevolent witchcraft which is your first clue that they're not into doing that themselves to locate criminals or like do basic fortune telling healing influence people to fall in love type things so well i think it was one of those things where a lot of that probably subsisted in like the north and the farther reaches of england but once king james kind of got on his you know witch hunt really and was trying to like weed out all the dissent like those were people he could not control and they were not you know the good christians in his head and so he had to get rid of them it's interesting i guess First, when I read it, I didn't realize that, like, Demdike was actually 80 years old. But I was like, it's a common trope of kind of, like, the ancient woman, like, just on the outskirts of town mm-hmm. who is accused of being a witch or, like, is thought of as a witch but is actually some sort of midwife. Have you seen Penny Dreadful? I haven't. Your your note here made me realize I need to watch it. Yeah, there's a character in the second season called the Cut Wife who is very much this. She lives in England, like, on the moors in this, like, little hut and um, is primarily tasked with providing, like, the village girls with abortions. And you can imagine that doesn't sit well with the um, men of the village, so is painted as a witch, but... Well, it's interesting, like, you talk about her being old, and, like, that's such a common trope. I mean, we even talked about about it with Baba Yaga, how, yeah. like, her her name is associated with, like, the a word for old woman that became a word for hag. Because just yeah. there, there's something about old women that creeps people out and made them feel like they were sinister. Just think about how much an old woman especially in that time period and that lifestyle, like, must have seen and must have known to make it that long. Well, yeah, at one point she's talking about someone is, like, 42 and they're, like, past middle age. (laughs) I know, it's so dark. So to be 80 is, like, you had to be a witch, like, literally. (laughs) Well, that's true. It's like they must have been prolonging their life through the dark arts. Yeah, or just, like, all the basil they were chomping on, like... Well, you know, if you're gonna be reasonable about it. 
I don't think that Basil actually does long much for longevity, but they did all have like an incredible knowledge of herbs and like local plants. And I think I loved that about Alice mm-hmm. where there's that scene where she goes into, the, I don't know if it's in the kitchen or if they're in the woods, but she starts like listing off the Latin names of yeah. all these plants. And Fleetwood is like, how do you know this? Because up until this point, like Alice is kind of painted as a mysterious country bumpkin but still like a country bumpkin (laughs) and alice is just kind of like what type of healer would i be if i didn't know the names of the plants like my mother taught them to me and i was like oh that's so cool like uh, women teaching women which is another (laughs) way you get branded a witch because like why do you have all this secret knowledge yeah unfortunately for alice that secret knowledge doesn't really do her any favors later on but well you'll have to read the book to see if she gets through it (laughs) One of the interesting things was that they, she does a really good job of portraying just, like, how nonsensical these trials were. So, like, first yeah. of all, I would like to say that in honor of people being accused of things, I am drinking Pontius Pilate IPA. Oh, wow. <laughs> look at you. Who? What is the uh, brewery of that? Um, what is it? It's, it's the Beer Church Brewing Company in Michigan. It's an old decommissioned church. Now brewery. The Beer Church Brewery, if you're listening, we would love to be a sponsor, so feel free to ship us a couple cases of beer and we'll test them out. Let It sounds like CJ's enjoying the Pontius Pilot, so it's, we'll happily review great. others. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, while we're on the subject of accusing, like, basically all of this starts because this woman, Janet Preston, is accused of murdering someone. And then... Somehow she's associated with this Alison Devis, who's, like, telling people that she cursed someone, and then her family's, like, stop doing that, but then she's telling everyone, oh, they're also witches, and, like, they all happen to be at the same tower on the same night, and now the little child, Janet, is like, yes, they're all witches, I saw them consort with the devil, and, and then the magistrates are like, oh, cool, we found the witches, they said it themselves. Yeah, it turns into this really weird he said, she said thing with this big circle. And I thought that was really odd, too. But it did remind me of Isabel Gowdy because she kind of just, like, names a bunch of people, too. Well, and then at the trial, they're like, oh, well, no one testifies for them. Like, they can say something and then the charges will be read. And it's like, wait, what what the hell? What? Which part is the trial? Yeah. (laughs) The trial, there is none. It's just a reading of sentences. But yeah, I totally forgot about that element. That little girl, the youngest. Yes, um, tiny Janet. Yeah, the tiny Janet girl. Um, in like a really disgusting move, Roger like takes her home. Like she's this carnival attraction. And mm-hmm. like she lives with Roger's family for a while. And it's really sad because Fleetwood, to her credit, kind of wonders, like, is this child actually, does she actually believe her family is full of witches? Mm -hmm. Or does she just, like, know that if she says what Roger wants, she'll get to, like, live in this dope-ass house (laughs) for a couple months? And obviously, I think the I think she's, like, six? She's not she, Yeah, old. she's really young. And, yeah, he's basically... Even his wife says, like, well, I guess she'll stay here as long as he's as she's useful to him. 
And I like obviously the girl is too little to know that like there's a time stamp on that. <laughs> like once her family is all murdered, like onto the streets she goes. But I just I think that was the part that really underscored for me how just vile Roger was. Yeah. I was like, you're gonna use a child? Like you already they've all the people had already like confessed in their own ways or like made accusations against each other and then he kind of just brought the little girl in to like ferret out more potential witches. I feel like that was so common though back in the day. Probably. And then I think Janet was also another weird loose thread because she's like this weird sort of like sinister precocious child like she's got a little bit of like shining twins or like the the yeah, kid with the red does. rum but like then she kind of goes away you never really find out what happened to her who so i forget who stole the necklace she did janet did yeah okay that's what yeah because fleetwood loses this necklace and richard is like losing his shit I, I, he's just mad about other things but he's like everyone must bring me the necklace or terrible things will happen. And it turns out that Janet took it. Okay, that's what I thought. I couldn't remember, though. But, yeah, and I think Fleetwood was like, I don't know how she would have gotten it. Like, she was with me the whole time. Mm-hmm. But just <laughs> this cunning little six-year-old. I wish that they had let her keep it because she probably could have really used that whenever they were just done with her <laughs> and, like, tossed her away. She probably would have used it to work a spell. She should on the whole, on Roger and his entire family. Except maybe the wife. The wife had, like, that redeeming I was going to say, Roger's moment. entire family is his wife. Yeah, so I guess just Roger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, that reminded me. Richard also has these sisters who, like, are there for half a second. Oh, yeah. They, like, make an appearance for, like, literally two pages and then they bounce. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, hi, guys. Do you know that Richard's cheating on me? Cool. Oh, you didn't? Oh, you're leaving now because you're uncomfortable? Okay, bye. Oh, can we talk about her mother? She yes, was please. such an Fleetwood's mother was such an interesting character. Yeah. Like she's painted from the outset as this very like cold, uh, like bas- the stereotype of like the the cold, frigid mother. Yeah. Like Fleetwood basically saw Richard as her savior because he took her away from this mother i guess over the course of the story she kind of redeems herself ish like we find out that what's her face fleetwood had previously assumed that like i guess richard came out of nowhere to marry her and to save her from not only her mother but she had been engaged as like a baby to some like old was he french married they were she was married at the age of four Okay, married to this old-ass guy who was, like, very creepy and, like, was not good. And then Fleetwood learns that, like, her mother suspected that he was probably abusing her and, like, then had the marriage annulled and found Richard to remarry her. So, like, she actually, despite being kind of a hard-ass and very into traditional (laughs) roles for women, like, did ultimately have Fleetwood's best. Well, and I think that's quote, the thing. Unquote, interest like, at she's, heart. she's constantly critical of Fleetwood. She's basically telling her like you're useless if she get if you can't produce an heir. But at the same time, I think she's very well aware that like in their society there are very few roles for women and like if Fleetwood does not produce an heir, then her entire future and livelihood is in danger. 
Well, she also knows, like, she straight up knows that Richard has, like, a woman well, yeah, in the we, wings. we do find out that later. So, yeah, she knows, like, if you do not produce an heir, this other chick will. Yeah, it's like, she's already <laughs> besotted with one. So, make it happen. Make it happen, girl. Otherwise, like, he'll put you, like, dump you aside. And I mean, that happened all the time. So Yeah, so I, I thought she was a really good character. Because she, she's this, like, terrible, bitter person that you find out is, like, just sort of a... I mean, she, she's kind of just a victim of circumstances like she's she's sort of doing the best she can in a really shitty world yeah and there are like little details that made me feel for her like when she goes and visits her and like i guess as part of the marriage contract like richard is supposed to be furnishing and like Mm -hmm. supplying all her her mother's home with like food and whatnot and Fleetwood notices that the soaps, I guess, are, like, not as nice as they are at her house or, like, the quality of things Mm -hmm. has gone down. And she's kind of upset because she's, like, he's supposed to be taking, like, he's supposed to be taking care of you. Like, the whole point of this is that, like, he's taking good care of you, too. And the mom, like, she just kind of, like, brushes it off and she's, like, it's not, like, not really about me anymore. Like, now it's about you and you need to make sure that, like, you're locked in and you have what you need to survive just being a woman at this time and i feel that's what a lot of a lot of this book is is like trying to survive being a woman and then fleetwood is realizing that like it's you know really kind of shitty and no one else is going to you know help other women when they get into trouble so she tries to do it in a way that almost gets her you know accused of witchcraft and worse but i'm trying to think if i had any other like specific things that I wanted to talk about. I think those were, like, my main comments. I thought, you know, the... I don't know how much we want to go into the ending, and you can you can cut this if you want, but I thought it was interesting how she ended it. I'm trying to remember. It's been, like, two or three weeks for me. Because, like, every, everything's sort of fine. Like, she has two kids now. She knows that this oh, other yeah. woman is living off somewhere, but, like, she's sort of fine with it. She knows that Alice is okay, but she doesn't see her again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It ends with her seeing the fox again. Yeah. And it's like, you know, all these horrible things have happened and, like, her husband's betrayed her. But, like, like it, it's not a perfect ending. It's just, like, you know, she's found a way to be happy in this society where she has relatively limited options. Maybe for us that can feel pretty fucking unsatisfying because it's just kind of glum but i guess like in the context of the time period what like what else could you really hope for after all of that happens you know well yeah and like that's why i like i kind of was okay with it because i I couldn't see real like realistically i couldn't see what else would have really happened and yeah. And like I said, I don't think Richard was a bad guy by nature. I think he was just kind of a cowardly idiot. <laughs> and so, you know, he he stepped up, at least. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I mean, I guess all he had to do was, like, not kill her because she had an heir, a son. So she, like... She held up her end of the bargain, so I don't really know if there would have been a quick and easy way to get rid of her if he had wanted to. He could but... have divorced her. That was cool by then. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, pr- you're right. Because I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, not not producing an heir was, like, grounds for divorce. 
Oh, yeah, but I mean, like, after she had the oh. son. I mean, he could have, like, you know, sent her to live somewhere and ignored her, but, like... Yeah. Like, I think he really did care about her. Like I said, he just didn't know how to handle himself because he was kind of an idiot. Yeah, I do think that he cared about her, too. I just can't really get a good get a good pulse on like how much (laughs) yeah (laughs) or like in what context like did he actually care about her or was it just like he liked having a wife and like an object but i guess you could ask that of any pretty much any man in most time periods including this one so yeah (laughs) yeah and i and i think i i don't know if he is capable of loving more unselfishly than that yeah, I don't know if he is either. So, like, that was probably about as good as it was going to get. I guess it could have been worse. <laughs> it could have been worse. They could have been, she could have been Allison. <laughs> so. That's true. Yeah. All right. Should we talk about our ratings? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I don't know what your note means, so you should go first. Okay. I was just going to say, I have, like, on my Goodreads, I have like, my own internal rating system, and I feel like I just need to explain it because otherwise I think mine comes off harsher than I mean it. So... (laughs) I have a similar internal rating system. So, out of five stars, five stars to me are, like, crowning achievements that have blown my mind and I've never read anything like it in my entire life. I think I only have two five stars that I can think of, one being House of Leaves because I'm a total asshole. (laughs) And the other one being The Road, because I'm still a I was going to say, asshole. yeah, it doesn't change at all. I know. I guess I have a thing. Postmodern fiction apparently, like, blows my mind. But, yeah, so that's, like, nothing really comes close to that. Like, it's just, like, those are the books to me that are, like, out of this world. I've never read anything like this. I My whole world is crumbling. Now I have to, like, go in a hole and just think about this for, like, two months. Um, fours are like, I loved this book so much. It was like, probably, it was so fun to read. It had so much interesting stuff in it. Like, I was really excited about this. I'm going to be thinking about it for like weeks to come still, but it didn't like push all the literary, literary buttons that book fives do. So these are like your A Song of Fire and Ices, uh, which don't push any literary buttons, but the story <laughs> is so fucking good. Um, three is like, I really liked this. This was a lot of fun. Like, this was kind of the perfect thing to do on a weekend or like on the beach. Two is that was kind of bad. Uh, I wasn't really into that. And one is that was a dumpster fire and I'm sad that I had to read it. <laughs> so I gave this a three. I really did enjoy reading it. I don't know if I feel like it, a three sounds sad because it doesn't feel like it communicates like that I did like it a lot. But it was like not my favorite book ever and it wasn't my absolute most favorite book ever. So like that's where I fell. <laughs> So it, it's funny. My rating scale is similar to yours, but like a little, there's a little less space between a four and a five. So like, I, I have a similar thing where like three is like a, a book that I enjoyed. I may yeah. not like think about it for the next five years, but like it was fun to read. It was good. Yeah. Like two is like, this was okay. It wasn't that special. Yeah. One is like, this was really hard to get through and I kind of hated it, but The thing is, I don't give a lot of ones because, like, I'm usually pretty good at telling, like, oh, this is a book that sounds terrible. I'm not going to pick it up and read it. 
Yeah, the only one that I ever got was, like, through a book club, and someone else picked the book, See, and I was like, yeah, I, since I, review, I would have never done this to myself. Since I review <laughs> books, I do occasionally get some ones, but, like, four, so I'm a little more liberal with my fours and fives, so four is, like, I really liked this, it was good, five is, like, this was amazing, I really enjoyed it, I would totally read it again. It doesn't have to be, like, the crowning jewel of fiction, because I also, like, when I'm thinking of fours and fives, I, I try to think of, like, comparing them to like the rest of the books in their genre as well see that's probably fair and totally logical i don't know like well so, okay <laughs> so you're doing this. this for yourself like yeah i feel like i i need to be a little bit less picky for my blog or else everything's gonna be a three that's a good point i i feel like i should be less picky when i'm reviewing them on goodreads though because that's I don't want to, like, do that to someone or, like, bring down someone's number, but. Well, I also look at, so some sites, and this is probably, like, way off topic, but some sites will tell you what they think the stars mean, so I'll usually go based on that, too. So, like, I think on Barnes & Noble, for example, three is, like, I liked it, four is I loved it, five it was, like, it was amazing. So. Okay. Or But, like, if some site says three it was okay, then I'll bump it up to a four because I want to make sure it reflects their ratings. But yeah, most That's people really most kind people rate you. way higher than like very few people use the entire rating scale. So a lot of books are rated higher than they need to be. But anyway, that's a long way of saying that I would give this book a solid three. It was like it was really entertaining. I enjoyed it. Probably wouldn't go back and read it again, but like I'm happy that I read it. I learned a lot. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm glad we agree. <laughs> we both came. Was it? We both we came both landed to the on same threes. spot. In a very different way. Yep. Um, I guess before we close out, I did want to give a little plug about the author. Why did um, you have to she tell is... me she was our age? Why? Because <laughs> I read her birthday was in 1989 and I was devastated. So oh, wait, she's a year older I needed than me. <sighs> she's my age then. <laughs> um, you have a year. Well, you're like almost 90. Yeah, just on the cusp. So you can round me in. Um <laughs> She grew up in Rosendale, Lancashire, and she was the daughter of market traders and has always been fascinated by the Pendle Witches, which I can imagine, like, growing oh up God, in that yeah. area. That would be awesome to have that, like, in your local history. Well, it explains a lot of the authenticity of the book, too. I didn't realize, one, I didn't realize she was British, and two, the fact that she grew up there. Like, there are just some things that are really hard to fake, and I think... This book is just very, like, naturally British-y, but in an old sort yeah, of way. Totally. So, yeah, I, I can see, like, it ma- makes sense that she grew up there. Also, I want to know if, like, market traders are, like, are we talking, like, a stardust, like, fairy market or, like, stock market? Someone please tell me. I hope, <laughs> I hope we're talking about, like, people who sell milk or, like, cheese at, like, a market. That would That's also how be I fun. picture it. Yeah. I don't want it to be stock market traders. <laughs> That's the darkest timeline. <laughs> I'll just choose to believe my own reality. Um, so Stacy studied journalism at the University of Central Lancashire and then moved to London at age 21, where she was then a media editor at The Bookseller and books editor at stylist.co.uk. 
She's written for a publication called Psychologies, the independent and fabulous magazine, wow. and she now works as deputy chief sub, or where she now works as deputy chief sub editor. Damn. So, damn girl, get it. What have I? What have I been doing with my life? I know this is her first novel, so fuck yeah, <laughs> like really great, really great first novel. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in following her writing journey, which I'd say I definitely am, because I'd like to see what else she comes up oh, with, yeah. you can f- follow her on Instagram at Stacy Hall's author. And Stacy does have an E between the C and the Y. Oh my god, I've been calling her Stacy Hall for like ever. I need to correct some <laughs> captions. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> And Twitter, she is Stacy underscore Halls. So yeah, yeah. So if you've read the Familiars, um, we would love to hear what you thought about it. It's okay if you tell us that like we're idiots and we're totally wrong about everything. We would love to hear your opinion. If you haven't, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. haven't read it and we haven't totally ruined everything for you, please go read it because it is a really, it's a it's a really quick and fun read. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check it out. Let us know if you liked this book topic. We enjoyed doing it, and I think we probably have a couple more ideas slated. So if you totally hated it, now is the time to tell yeah. us, because otherwise it's probably going to happen to you again. And, like, 2019-2020 is, like, the year of the witch books. So there will be more I'm unless here, you stop us now. Here for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Hopefully, if you are listening to, I think this is our 14th episode, that means you like us. (laughs) And if you'd like to find out more about us or keep tabs on what we're up to, there are a few places on the internet where you can do that. We are on Tumblr at witchinghourpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on Instagram at thewitchinghourpodcast. Facebook is facebook.com slash itsthewitchinghour. Our email is it's the witching hour at gmail.com and our website is it's the witching hour.com. And finally, you can find us on Twitter at witching hour pod. That's witching H R P O D. So don't worry. We will come back with some more Pendle witches. We're going to do a deep history dive as I was going to say, as we are known for in our, you know, very <laughs> long tenure, but next episode, I think will coincide with, Valpurgis night. So we are going to talk about that fun witchy holiday next. Yeah, so buckle up and we will see you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to cut that. No, keep sure. it. <laughs>